Before we get into today's episode, I want to ask you all to check out another show, My Dad, I'm Dad. The show chronicles the journey of a new father in the wake of losing his own. I came across this show recently, and I gotta say, I love the concept, the host, and the parallels between the topics he covers and our own. So go check out My Dad, I'm Dad, and let us know what you think. Do things really happen for a reason? Or are we responsible for making our own luck? In today's Throwback Thursday, I want to return to an episode we did that touched on these questions and what we can all do to be more lucky. Maintaining a work-life balance keeps getting harder, but it doesn't have to. This is The Big Balance podcast for anyone struggling to stay ahead or even just keep up with work, life, and everything in between. Join us each week for practical advice you can actually apply to get a little sanity back in your day. Welcome to Throwback Thursday here on The Big Balance. As I mentioned on Tuesday, I had a bit of a disaster in my home regarding some water damage. and It made me think about luck. A couple weeks ago, a cleaning company I hired busted a pipe that led to a waterfall from my second story to the ground floor. I know what you're thinking, that doesn't sound very lucky. But what happened next was... I happened to see a neighbor chucking some drywall material as we were both taking out some trash. I struck up a conversation with him to ask what he had going on, thinking I might get the name of a local contractor from him. Turns out, he was the contractor, and had been doing some work in his own home. So here I was, finding a guy who could do the work I needed right as I needed it, who quoted a competitive price, and who was intimately familiar with my home because, hey, he had a very similar unit. Was I just lucky? Or did I make my own luck, in a sense, by engaging a stranger I would have otherwise walked right by on any other day? I think real luck requires a little bit of both, which is exactly what we talked about on this show last August. So for anyone who wasn't with us back then, join me on a trip back in time. Right out of college, I started my career in what I guess is the most entry level of sales positions, that of the business development representative. And for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it essentially boils down to cold calling to set up sales appointments for the big sales guys once I found a qualified prospect. John, how do you think you'd do at the smile and dial game? I think I would do all right with it. That being said, I think it would start to weigh on me the the kind of keep a happy face and keep just plugging away dialing. That doesn't seem very rewarding or fulfilling to me. No, it's a it's actually a hard job, not in terms of the difficulty level, but it can be very monotonous and just day in and day out, cold call after cold call, talking to people who nine out of ten times want nothing to do with you. It's it's uh it's it's a bit rough and I hated it. I just wasn't good at it. I wanted to be. And not because of a, a love of sales or a love of this job, but really just because, hey, I'm a kid fresh out of school and I don't want my first gig to be a giant failure. So I started reading up really on how to get good at sales. And there is no lack of information about you know sales strategies, sales techniques, things you can do to be better at selling. But out of all these guides that I found, there was this one article that I, I don't even know how I landed on this. It was an article written by a British psychology professor by the name of Richard Wiseman on the topic of being lucky. And John, would you describe yourself as a, a lucky kind of guy? Eh, I think I'm kind of middle of the road. I don't think I'm unlucky, 
but I wouldn't consider myself especially lucky either. I like to consider myself a pretty lucky person. I think a lot of it does come down to kind of taking and internalizing this article that I read. Wiseman wanted to understand why some people were seemingly lucky while others were basically walking disasters. And I I think I've gone the gamut from one to the other. He asked a bunch of people who felt they were exceptionally lucky or unlucky to reach out to him so he could really understand what made that luck or lack of luck tick. He also ran through some experiments, and I think these are some pretty interesting findings, and and that's what I wanted to talk about today. Let's say, for example, we give an identical newspaper to two groups of people, one full of self-professed lucky people and the other unlucky. And we ask both groups to count the number of pictures in that newspaper. Which group do you think John is going to finish faster, the lucky people or the unlucky people? My, my gut's telling me it's going to be the lucky people, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess that, that's kind of a kind of an easy lead-in considering yeah, I want to talk was about that, this Was topic. that a leading question, right? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Well, uh, yes, the answer is the lucky people, but not because they were any better at this, by all accounts, very menial task. What Wiseman had done is he put an ad in the paper that said, stop counting, there are 43 photographs in this newspaper. And he went a step farther than that even. A few pages later, he put another ad that says, stop counting, tell the experimenter you found this, and you get $250. Now, this is where the lucky people or the self-professed lucky people really come in. Those are the people that were more likely to notice these messages were being placed in the newspaper rather than the unlucky people who stuck very, very close to the task and just went about counting pictures. Is it the cynic in me that if I was given that ad that said there's 43 pictures in this paper, I would still go through and count just to be sure? <laughs> just to be sure. Uh, so that you're not lucky, you're not unlucky, you're just paranoid. Yes, yes. Okay. So that's, yeah. that's, that's where I would put myself. You're the yeah. third group. Not glasses half full, not glasses half empty. The glass is poisoned and somebody put something <laughs> in your water. The glass is going to kill me. The glass is a lie. Well, the takeaway from Wiseman's experiment was relatively simple. It was the lucky people who, more often than not, they're more open to seeing things around them rather than being really fixated on the task. Unlucky people are the ones who are putting blinders on. They're a little more tense and anxious, and that anxiety stops them from really looking at the bigger picture. Almost like a secular the Lord helps those who help themselves kind of concept. Yeah, it really is. It's it's about stepping outside of yourself and really seeing the forest for the trees. And admittedly, that's not always an easy thing to do, right? Especially if you're in a very, let's go back to Brian's first gig in sales. It's a very monotonous job. And when you're in a rut, it's very, very easy to stay there. And if you live with blinders on long enough, you forget you're wearing them. So this willingness to be open to opportunity is one of what Wiseman calls the four basic principles of luck. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about these principles and really what we can do to make our own luck using them.
so we're talking about going on and creating our own luck, but first let's talk a little bit about why. To ask some blunt questions, does anybody out there ever feel stuck in a rut just like I did in that sales job? Or have you ever felt like you were really just responding reactively to all the things that life throws your way? And I think it's really easy to get stuck playing defense like this, especially over the last few years. I entered a workforce during that recession, and if any of you were in the same boat, you know it's really easy to think defensively about your career. And John, have you ever gotten stuck in a, a negative thinking kind of situation? Constantly. I have to work myself out of it a lot of the times. And I do want to preface that a little bit by saying that I'm generally a pretty happy person, but negative thoughts really can kind of envelop your entire thinking. So putting up those defenses is something that is easier said than done, but it's extremely important. Your words are not falling on deaf ears right now, Brian. Yeah. Show of hands, how many people stay up at night thinking about the one little nitpick, bad thing that happened throughout their day? All of a sudden it's three in the morning and you can't get to sleep and your mind is just turning it over and over in your head. Those are the thoughts that are hard to let go. It's not the the fun, happy thoughts that are, are hard to let go. It's the ones that nag at you and are, are negative. But we do have to break out of that thought process, and I think Wiseman's approach is actually a really good way to start. According to Richard Wiseman, this British psych professor and expert on all things we'll call lucky, there are those four principles that lead to favorable outcomes in life. Lucky people are more perceptive and open to opportunities. They listen to intuition when making decisions. They're generally more positive and create more self-fulfilling prophecies by setting positive expectations. And they're more resilient to what life throws at them. So when bad luck strikes, they make lemonade out of lemons. So let's go through all four of these and kind of break them down a little bit and see what we can do to kind of bring them into our own lives a little bit. They don't even sound like they're necessarily tips or tools to improve your luck or fortune as much as just fundamentally good practices to have in your day to day. I think that's really the point that Wiseman's research and, and Wiseman is trying to make is that Luck isn't this crazy mystical force out there messing with people's lives. Luck is what you make of it, right? Luck is more of an attribute of somebody's personality than it is an external force. Yeah, is it almost like some folks view it as an extension of fate almost. You 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 can't control it. And I think maybe spoiler alert a little bit. I think that's what you're getting at that we in fact can control our own fate and our own uh, luck at that point. Life is all about being proactive. It's it's your life. You have to not to be corny, but take it by the horns and run with it, right? You can't just be reactive and let things happen. It's people who are overly reactive to things that are going on that are more likely to believe that there are these uncontrollable forces that are completely outside our control. And it, it's almost a cop-out way of feeling better about things, right? You know, if bad things happen to me, well, I'm just an unlucky person. You know, I don't have any control over that. And we don't take responsibility for the things that uh, that are going on for us. Exactly. I was just about to say accountability right there. Right. And that's the perfect word for it. Luck is about accepting accountability and pushing forward with it, really. There you go. All right. So let's break these down a little bit. The first one we already talked about before the break. Lucky people are perceptive and open opportunities. They don't just blindly seek out and complete objectives. They look beyond and, and ask themselves the question, why, a little bit more than the rest of us. The newspaper example, being physically more open to interpreting what's going on, I think is really just part of it. And there's a social angle as well, and I'll give you an example of that. My wife and I like to drink wine, and we'll visit wineries to do tastings. You see the same groups at these wine tasting tours 
a lot of the times they make weird competitions out of it too. Like, oh, you only visited three wineries? Psh, we're at six already. And I learned a long time ago, the best thing you can do when you're going wine tasting, especially at a small place, just go up to the owner and ask, hey, what's the favorite thing that you grow here? Nine out of 10 times, they're going to pour both you and themselves a glass and talk to you about it and maybe even bring you down to the cellar for a tour. Meanwhile, those people with the blinders on get in, get out with their five one-ounce pours, and they barely really experience anything. They make it just a rote exercise, and that's not very enjoyable. Yeah, those blinders are on in that scenario, so you need to be open to those opportunities. And my fiance, or my soon-to-be sister-in-law, I should say, was very fortunate in the fact that she was looking for a specific car. She had done her research, and it was a fairly new model. And she had gone out of her way to research it and found a dealership close by that was selling it. Well, she went there and talked to the uh, the salesman and found the, the car that she wanted and actually brought a printout of what the price was quoted at, something to that effect. Well, she gets there. There's somebody else who's interested in the car and is looking to purchase it. So they have to go back, talk to their, their spouse, their significant other. But meanwhile, she's there and she's ready to purchase the car. So... She goes to the salesman and says, I'm going to purchase this and shows him the price that she was quoted at. This price was significantly under sticker price, and this was pretty much the only model they had on the lot. So not only did she beat the person who was looking to buy the car, like, you know, you snooze, you lose, but she got it at a severely discounted rate as a result, too. So totally serendipitous and totally win-win, but it was because she did her research and found that quote that was going to get her that better price. Yeah, a little bit of due diligence and, and active work for it, yeah. Now, these are both examples from personal life, and I can give a good business example as well. As previously mentioned, John and I are in the management consulting business, and a lot of times a consultant will go from our company to one of our clients to work. One such example of this is actually a good friend of mine named Peter, and he was working on an account in the pharma industry. And he wasn't the only consultant working on this project. There was uh, maybe half a dozen total working on this account. But when the time came for this client to be done with our engagement, they asked Peter to come work for them. Now, there are a lot of people that did really good work on this account. Peter was a good employee, but I wouldn't say he was necessarily better than anybody else. But he had a really good relationship with the stakeholder to the point where when this stakeholder had issues, even outside of the work we were doing, Peter was the guy that he went to. Peter was the sounding board. Peter was the guy that he would strategize with, whether it was related to our work or not. Over the course of, I'm going to say, maybe five years, six years, Peter has been promoted a number of times and also gotten pay raises a number of times from joining this boss of his. And meanwhile, a lot of the consultants that had worked on the account alongside Peter, they're essentially in the same role that they had been in five years before. Is Peter a lucky person? Well, I would say mm -hmm. yes, he is in the sense that he had formed a really good relationship and capitalized on it. Peter's luck wasn't some supernatural phenomenon. It was his ability to strike up and have good relationships and recognize opportunities when they came to him. And that's really at the root of what Wiseman's getting at, I'm sure, right? I, I would like to think so, right? It's, it's not just about doing a good job. It's not just about being a positive thinker. It's about being proactive with it as well. Sure. The second principle, listening to intuition when making decisions. I think a lot of us try to travel the same path we see others take because, hey, we see them being successful while doing it. 
But what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another. Now, by all means, be objective and validate your options. But if something feels wrong, even though that objective review makes it seem like a good option, don't discount your gut reaction. Because if it feels wrong to you, maybe there is something about it that's not going to work for you. So a funny story in terms of how my fiance and I actually met. I don't know if I've mentioned this here before, but we, we met at work. Are we rom-com scripting right now? We're rom- we might be a little bit. But it's a funny story. Um, but my fiance and I, we met at work. And the funny thing about it was is that she had gotten an offer for an interview a couple months prior at the company where I was working and didn't take it. And then the GM reached out again you know, to set up another interview. And I think it was her mother who was like, there's something there for you. There's something there and you need to go there. And they joke, and we still joke that she thought she was going to find a doctor there or something to marry, but unfortunately she found me. she found John. (laughs) But, you know, I think whether it was her intuition or her mother's intuition. Who needs a a doctor when you have a guitar player? Right, right? yeah, that really pays the bills. (laughs) But I don't know if it was her intuition or her mother's intuition, but something was telling them that there's something there and there's something to be found there. And people always talk about these chance encounters or these decisions that influence the rest of their lives. Not only was it her decision that put us in touch, but it was other people's decisions years before that really set those things in motion. I wouldn't have been working there if my mother wasn't working there. My mom wouldn't have gotten the job if so-and-so hadn't got the job. And it's just funny to think about the ways that you can keep going back and back and think about how one chance or one small decision can really influence your entire life. And at a certain point, there's got to be intuition that's really influencing these decisions. Maybe a little bit of fate, but it's it's really crazy to think about those chance encounters, we'll say. Let, let's try to break down a little bit what intuition really is. And, and I'm going to say this as somebody who's by all means not an expert in any of this. But let's talk about, for example, jazz, mm-hmm. right? I think a lot of the jazz greats are people who can really play off the cuff, kind of sense where music is going and using their intuition, kind of not just continue it, but build upon it. And John, you're a musician. Do you feel like there's any intuition in your playing? Absolutely. There's times that you can just feel the groove or you can feel the next note or and not even from a musical theory perspective. You just know that that was the right move. And there are times when, when you're jamming with people and you aren't communicating out loud saying, hey, we're going to make the change here. But you know that the change is happening, not just because you've reached the end of the measure, but because you know that that's the right time. And you look at jam bands or bands like Grateful Dead, they're playing a different version of every song every single night when they were touring. You need to have that level of musicianship and that gut feeling and that intuition to when you're going to make changes and and just kind of riff and vamp and jam. To speak on behalf of every musician who actually knows what they're talking about instead of me, I got to believe that it's it's not something you're necessarily born with. Maybe some people are, are a bit more predestined or in tune with it, but I have to imagine that it's a matter of practicing the craft, understanding music, understanding how to play the instrument really well. That leads to that intuition, right? Is that, is that fair to say? Bingo. Yep. hundred percent. 
So really, intuition, it, it might feel like it's just a gut feeling and we can write it off by saying that, but what is intuition other than the sum of your life experiences and maybe you're not connecting every dot to why you feel a certain way, but everything you've experienced early in your life goes into why you feel a certain gut feeling. So I, I don't want to discount intuition. I, I think there is more to it. It's kind of like going into a library and I don't have the Dewey Decimal System memorized, but I can go to a shelf and find the right book because I've been there so often, right? Does that make sense? I, I completely agree. I think that's a very nice analogy. There you go. And it's not even food-based. Actually, no, I, I don't. Have I made any food based analogies on this podcast so far? Every day, at least three times a day, I'm, I'm comparing something to a, a ham sandwich or some kind of food product. I don't think I've done that on the podcast so far. Can anybody comment or confirm that for us? Yeah, please. Some, somebody go back and listen. Yeah, go back and listen to all our episodes a second time. That's going to be good for views, too. So, no complaints. <laughs> All right, so the last two I'm going to lump together. First is they're generally more positive. They create self-fulfilling prophecies. And the final one is they're more resilient to what life throws at them. Let me ask a question to everybody. When was the last time anybody out there stayed at a job too long? Or maybe we're in a relationship too long. Maybe it was toxic. Maybe it was a really high-stress environment. For whatever reason, you said, eh, the devil you know is better than the one you don't, and you stayed. Because maybe interviewing is stressful, or going on a first date is stressful. Maybe that new job won't work out, and at least, hey, the job you have now is steady. That's bad thinking. Maybe that next job will be a great fit, and you don't even know what it is yet. Maybe that next person you meet is going to be the love of your life. Don't we owe it to ourselves to find out if we're unhappy whether that's the case or not? My paranoid brain needs to get past that line of thinking. So no more is this glass of water I'm looking at poison. It's just liquid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, John, let's take a little bit of an inventory. We have these four principles. If you were to say which one you're already pretty good at and which one you need the most work, what would be uh, what would be your best and your worst? I definitely need to work on my resiliency when it in my thinking. I think that's the big one for me. Like I mentioned earlier, I get stuck in this line of thinking of constantly negative or overanalyzing or just being so anxiety ridden. I can't see to use your phrase again, you know, the forest through the trees here. So if there's one area that I can absolutely improve, I would say it's there. I think for me, let it never be said that I'm not an overthinker. And again, I, I would tie this back to the time that I graduated being right before pretty big recession. I try to think of possible outcomes and invariably I try to think of the negative ones because I want to be prepared for them. But is that really the right way to go? Am, am I creating some negative self-fulfilling prophecies by doing that? Because if I'm always thinking of the negative and always trying to avoid the bad, I'm never really seeking out the good either, right? I tend to think of my mother-in-law when I think of things like this when it comes to resiliency and thinking because she's had some health issues in the past and there's always that fear associated with going in for those checkups and really getting updates on status and things like that. And every time she goes in, there's always that initial fear, but we've made it a point to put out these good vibes and put these positive affirmations out there to where I really think it has a contributed to not only her longevity, her ability to really kick the disease's ass. And I think that there's power in our thinking and not to be overly, you know, I always say heavy dippy here, but you can basically create these positive experiences for yourself by putting these positive affirmations out into the universe, really putting it out there and you'll, it'll happen for you. I really view that as a really 
huge core strength, right? You always hear, you know, I don't have anything but my health. And I can't think of anything that would make somebody feel more vulnerable than having a disease like that in the sense that if you're healthy, you can take on whatever comes your way, that's fine. But when it's a health issue, I would imagine that would be really easy to get scared and, and succumb to that fear. And by the grace of God, I've, I've never really had any bad illness. I'd like to think I would respond as courageously. Yeah. I don't know. And, and I think it really is how you respond to it. That, that definitely wasn't an easy time for their family, um, and especially outside of just health. You know, there was a lot of things that happen as a result of that, too. So things like your career, they all take a backseat to your health when something scary like that happens. So you can't sit there and wallow once you are healthy, too. You can't say, well, I lost, you know, I lost this opportunity or I lost that opportunity. You need to get back out there and, again, take the bull by the horns there and... You know, not to do too much of a humble brag here, but I have to say my mother-in-law is probably one of the strongest people I've ever met, and she kicks ass at her job, too. So it's you can always bounce back from anything, whether it's health, career, whatever. Just have those positive affirmations out there, and I believe it'll happen for you. Now, we have gone pretty far into, I, I'm going to use your phrase, John, we've gone pretty far into the hippy-dippy side of things, <laughs> and, and uh, plenty of uh, self-help books and, and related things out there that uh, go along those lines. And I'm going to pull it back a little bit to say, again, a lot of this stuff does seem kind of hippy-dippy, does seem kind of in the clouds, but I think a lot of this is really actionable. We control whether we have a positive mood or not. We do control how resilient we are to what life throws at us, and we're the ones who decide whether or not to keep our eyes open for opportunities. I think, John, you and I both recognize we have some things to work on here, because if Wiseman's right, Luck does move from being this arcane force that's out of our control to becoming something that we do create through some simple, at least to understand, behavior modifications. Now, let's go back to entry-level Brian from the beginning of the episode. Full circle. Yeah, full circle. <laughs> Did my focus on maximizing luck really help me in the wide world of business development? Ultimately, no. I lasted maybe six months on the cold calling floor before I was just done and dusted. But the hyper-focus on the task at hand, in this case, getting better at phone sales, that was never what Wiseman's results suggested would or even should happen for a lucky person. Instead, that study said that I should keep my eyes open for other opportunities, and that's what I did. First, not a big surprise, I realized that the job I had was not the job I wanted. I didn't need somebody to tell me that, but it was something that I did have to come to terms with. What taking off the blinders did do for me was make me see the parts of the job that I actually did like. I really enjoyed the marketing strategy and the interaction with technology that my job had. And after some discussions with my boss around how to take that type of role and, and really benefit the company with it, I essentially built a whole new role for myself at this company. So really all's well that ends well, not because I had blinders on and, and got better at sales, but because I kept myself open to opportunities and really made my own luck. And in a case of serendipity, 10 years later, you'd, you'd meet me and we'd be recording a podcast. Yeah, butterfly effect, you know, butterfly flapped its wings. I sucked at sales. Now I have a podcast. There you go. There you go. Directly <laughs> related. Cause and causation, right? <laughs> All right. Well, that's about everything that we have tonight. Appreciate everybody taking a step back in my own past and hearing about how luck 
played a role uh, again in, in me being a uh, entry-level sales guy all the way through to meeting John and starting the Big Balance. And if there's anything to take away from this is that you can create your own lucky charms or, or anything like that. You make your own. Exactly. And the second takeaway, never marry a guitarist when you can marry a doctor. Yes, if you can find a doctor. Thanks for listening to the Big Balance Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and drop us a comment while you're there. Until next time.